looking at verse 1, John chapter 15, beginning to read at verse 1 while you look it up, and just say it's a joy to be back with you for another anniversary service. I was trying to remember when I was last here, it was either six or seven years ago, I think, uh, but my memory's uh, not that good anymore. Uh, I'm up in Wick next weekend, so pray for Wick Baptist Church there in a period of vacancy at the moment. Uh, after that, I'm in Partick, the new church plant that's happening there from Queen's Park Baptist Church. And a couple of weeks after that, I'm down in Irvine taking their Christmas services, uh, which is a church that's in vacancy and has been for some time. So if you want to direct your prayers towards the Baptist family, that's three places that you can be thinking of uh, in the next wee while. John chapter 15, we begin reading at verse 1. I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit He prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. Amen. I start with a confession. I'm a big fan of two television shows that are just pure escapism. And I'm going to name them for you, but please don't mock me. The two outstanding shows on television run annually for me are Strictly Comes Dancing <laughs> and Britain's Got Talent, and I am not joking. Strictly Come Dancing and Britain's Got Talent. I love the escapism of those shows. They both offer the opportunity of instant success. For years, my wife and I have been developing our ballroom and Latin skills, and we are nowhere near where these people seem to be after two weeks. There's a bit of jealousy in there, I suspect. As for Britain's Got Talent, overnight fame, overnight success, dreams come true. The perfect story for the producers is somebody who's come from a lowly or a difficult background, and then they come through and they win the show and they draw me in every time, and I get caught hook, line, and sinker by the story, and I can be sitting there in my little living room with tears running down my face with happiness that the underdog has conquered, and I get excited, and I get tearful. Part of the reason that these shows are so successful, though, is because there's part of all of us that wants to be successful. Part of all of us that wants to do well at one level or another. We'd all like to be known for doing our best in whatever we choose to do. 
from passing school exams to progressing in careers, parenting, hobbies, sports. No one wants to waste their time and their talents in life. We want our lives to be fruitful. We want our lives to be fulfilling. Sadly, there's a negative side to this desire for instant success that's present in our world today. And many young people who are told that the path to instant glorification is to sacrifice their life in jihad, to strap on a suicide belt, and to let go of the trigger. There's a path to instant success, a path to instant glory, they are told. That desire in all of us for success to do well can be manipulated. It can be used destructively. This morning and this evening, I want to unpack something of the ambiguity in this one passage in terms of the fruitful life, whilst hopefully leaving enough mystery and enough unsaid for your further consideration. This conversation between Jesus and His disciples addresses the face-on the issue of success or fruitfulness as a disciple of Jesus Christ. What does it mean to be a successful disciple is the, the question He's addressing. Those who abide in Me, He says, and I in them will bear much fruit. They will be fruitful. They will be successful. This is the key. What's fascinating is that Jesus doesn't directly define what it means to abide in Him. Neither does He define what the fruit will look like. What is clear is we're not actually in control as individuals of the fruitfulness of our lives. He has control of that in some way. We might from this phrase alone start to question whether we should even actively pursue success as disciples or collectively as a church. What is clearer is that the disciples' responsibility is not to find a, a quick way to succeed, not to find a shortcut, but to focus on remaining in Christ, to focus in on what it actually means to be a faithful disciple of Jesus. We are not to be distracted by the psychobabble that you hear celebrities and sports stars say when they say the only limit to your success is your imagination. When people say to young people, you can achieve whatever it is that you want to achieve. I don't want to spoil the party, but there are serious limits on what we can achieve. When my son, the one who's... Uh, 21 just now. Um, when, when he was eight years old, I introduced him uh, to a, well, a very influential man, a guy called Chris Hadfield. At that time, he was commander of the United States Space Shuttle, nipping up to space every so often and moving around and then coming back down. Since then, he's more famous for being commander of the International Space Station. Um, where he did the Jumping Jack Flash video, if any of you can remember back a few years. But as eight-year-old, I introduced my son to Chris. His eyes opened big. <laughs> Chris said, I, I, I'd like to buy you a Coke, Paul, 
and tell you a bit about my adventures in space. My 18-year-old just kind of looked at me and said, and my 8-year-old looked at me and said, can I go? You know, I was like, I'm not sure I'm even going to ask because I'm going. And off he went and he sat with this guy. And in a carrier bag at the side of the table, he brought out patches that could be sewn on that were about the mission. Badges that could be pinned on, hats that could be worn, t-shirts to go on, ice cream from space, all sorts of gizmos and goodies. And he was signing posters and he was signing photographs. And on one of them, he signed, the sky is not the limit. You have to be an astronaut to write that. The sky is not the limit. Oh, my son loved it. It inspired them. You know, we had no bother getting my son engaged in school. He wanted to be in the space program. So he just knuckled on down and he worked hard at school. It was easy for him. He had been told the sky was not the limit. Thankfully, as he grew older, he also grew a bit wiser and realized there were some limits to his abilities. He's training to be a Baptist minister at the moment. (laughs) We have limits to our abilities. I sometimes with my wife, we run the park run down the road at Strathclyde Country Park just to get me down that last half kilometer. I'll imagine that I'm crossing the finish line in first place at the Olympic Games, about to receive my gold medal. But do you know what? It's never going to happen. It's never going to happen. Even Mo Farah at my age isn't going to win a gold medal at the Olympic Games. There are limits to our abilities, and we need to get real. The church in Scotland needs to get real. The church in Scotland has been in major decline in just every form of way of looking at it. Membership is down. Attendance is down. Baptisms are down. They have been my entire lifetime. Significant birthday next year. 50 years of constant decline. And still I meet people who tell me with boldness that they have the thing that will turn it around. That they have the thing, the key to success. If only the church would embrace a different form of leadership. If only the church would be more attractive. If only the church would be more missional. If only the church would buy the right program. If only we used the particular franchise product or did church in a particular way, then your church would become fruitful. I am fed up listening to it. Who said that bigger is better? There are others who tell me that the church shouldn't even be trying to grow, that they should stop trying new things, that simply what the church should do is pray for revival faithfully and God would show up and transform the nation. It's not more ideas they say we need, it's more prayer. We need to be more focused on the gospel. I don't agree with them either. I don't think the passage says that. 
I don't actually think the urgent question for the church in Scotland in its state of perpetual decline is how do we get bigger? It's not how do we bear much fruit. It's not how do we reach more people. It's not how do we become more attractive, more accessible, more relevant, or even how do we hasten revival. It's the wrong question. According to Tom Wright of St. Andrews University, and in this point I agree with him, the urgent question for the church today is how do we remain in Christ? How do we remain in Jesus? And let me be crystal clear, I do not believe that the answer to that question is something that is inactive and passive. The how do we remain question requires activity. Let me ask the question in a different form. How do we embrace embrace the journey of living with Christ? How do we remain faithful to Christ in a changing world? What does it look like to abide in Christ today that is significantly different from what it looked like to abide in Christ when this church began? What does it look like to abide in Christ today that is significantly different from the last time I was here? Which was probably the start of this decade. I'm a big fan of minority sports. The Scottish national sport of football does nothing for me. I just about managed to watch the rugby yesterday. But my favorite sport currently is curling. And Scotland is good at curling. We're regularly world champions, occasionally Olympic champions. We're pretty good. I'm the Royal Caledonian Curling Club's chaplain. I attend all their AGMs and pray for them and all, all, do all sorts of things attached to that. But we have real champions like Eve Muirhead, a wonderful young sports lady who has, has led the Scottish and the British women team for several years now. She is one of the best curlers in the world. And last year, this time last year, the European Championships were being held in Brayhead along the road in Glasgow. And the BBC went. Now, there is a problem when the BBC covers minority sports. They sometimes ask stupid questions because they don't know the sport. And so there they have Eve Muirhead in front of them. And the question that is asked of Eve Muirhead is this. Are you aiming to win the gold medal? That's the question that's asked. Now, just think about that question for a minute. Eve Muirhead is one of the best curlers in the world. She is probably the best female curler in the world. She has a team of three other people who are probably the best curling team in the world. And she's on her home patch in Glasgow, just down the road from where she stays. Are you aiming to win the gold medal? I'm screaming at the television, of course she is. And she answers, no. She said, we're not aiming to win the gold medal. Every person in my team has personal criteria for every game we will play in this competition. If we reach 
the criteria that we are aiming for in our performance, then yes, we will win medals. But we're not looking at the medals. We're looking at our performance. And that's what this passage says. We will produce fruit if and only if we abide in Jesus. If we look at our performance as individual disciples, not at the final outcome. For some folks, they think the final outcome is heaven and they become heaven, too heavenly minded to be any earthly good. You'll have heard that said before. We're not to focus on the fruitfulness. We are to focus on how we live our lives. Verse 4 says, Just as a branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. The focus for us on the journey is the activity of abiding, of living with Jesus, of making our home in Jesus. Whatever phrase you want to use, Jesus is the one who makes abiding fruitful. He's the one who uses our abiding for His purposes. You ever consider Jesus might be more interested in the quality of His disciples than the number of them? There's some indicators of that in Scripture. When He leaves the 99 sheep and goes after the one, it says something about challenging our time management priorities, our effectiveness criteria. We are ch- here we're challenged to pursue above everything the presence of Jesus in our lives. As church attendance declines, as secularism grows, as we are called, we are called to pursue His presence. Why? Well, the other key is in the passage, because Jesus here is called the true vine. If you want to be a real believer, if you want to be in touch with reality, He is the real vine. He is the truth. You have to be in Him and have Him in you You have to be in the truth, and the truth has to be in you. The passage goes on to say what will happen to those who are not real. They will be cut off. They may look real. They may have the right appearance, but they are not part of the true vine. And so the gardener cuts them off. Why? Because they're not good to the health of the plant. They're imposters. Because he is the truth, there is no room for those who are pretending. There's no room for those who are half-hearted. There is no room for those who are hypocrites. It's the same criticism that we read of in the church in Laodicea in Revelation chapter 3. And it must be one of the strongest criticisms of the church in Scotland in my lifetime. You kind of look warm, church. You're kind of disconnected with the real truth. The hypocrisy, the half-heartedness, that's what destroys the vine. That's what confuses onlookers. That's what saps energy. That's what limits growth of true branches. And so the gardener has no choice but to come along and he cuts them off. And I find myself asking the question in all seriousness, is that what's been happening in Scotland for my lifetime? Has the gardener been cutting off branches? Is the church in Scotland being cleansed in this generation of hypocrisy and half-heartedness? 
Those who said they're believers but failed to live the life of a disciple and become a good witness of Jesus Christ. The decline that we've seen, maybe those whose lives were sadly never transformed by the grace of Jesus, never indwelt by His Spirit. We're seeing the demise of what might be called a cultural Christianity, leaving a remnant of a believer's church in the nation. Could it even be that the clearing of the vine by the gardener will lead us to a condition where the true church of Christ in Scotland has space to grow for once, has space to flourish in this nation? But the other thing that's happening in this picture being painted by Jesus is that true believers are being cut back. Not cut out, but pruned, cut back to keep them in the truth, to encourage further fruitfulness. In other words, this journey to reality, this journey in truth is not straightforward. It's not your Britain's Got Talent shortcut to fame. It's a journey where there will be pain, where there will be disappointment, where there will be despair and doubt and all of these things on the way to fruitfulness. Those who are remaining in Christ are are building their house with Christ. The people who are fruitful will be pruned, cut back, so that they can become more fruitful. Romans chapter 5, it is not the most pleasant reading, but from verse 3 it says, we glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character, and character hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Not one we would choose if we had the option, this path, is it? But this is the path of pruning that leads to fruitfulness. Not a path to instant success, but a long faithful walk through multiple issues in the same direction. When Paul writes to the Philippians in chapter 1, as he's suffering in prison, he says, what has happened to me in this prison has actually served to advance the gospel. The pruning of suffering has led to more people hearing about Jesus and also has given confidence to the church and other believers to share their faith. There has been a growth in boldness in the church. There has been a growth in love in the church. Here is fruitfulness happening in the church in Philippians in the midst of the deepest personal tragedy. And notice for Paul, he doesn't question the truth because of the suffering. He recognized that these difficult days are part of the process of God shaping us and changing us. In fact, he seems to affirm that he's in the truth because of the suffering. A month ago, I was in Yerevan. Yerevan is the capital city in Armenia. I was there meeting European Baptist uh, leaders. I had the privilege to listen to the Baptist pastors from Iraq and from Egypt who had joined us. The church in Iraq and in Egypt is struggling in the face of Islamic terrorism and persecution. And yet in the midst of this extreme violence, Christians are housing their displaced Muslim neighbors. In the midst of it, they are feeding and educating 
Muslim children. They are setting up schools. The churches are setting up schools to teach Muslim children. The love that they demonstrate in the face of personal suffering is the root, is the fruit, sorry, of remaining in Christ. It's in the face of suffering that the hypocrisy of the church is stripped away. And those grafted into the truth are able to forgive, they're able to love, they're able to remain, and they're able to bear fruit. Now, tonight I'm going to explore a little about how we make our home in Christ. But as I finish this morning, I want to reflect for a few moments on how this message might impact our living, how it might impact our understanding right now in case you don't come back tonight, you've had enough. There will be without doubt those who are struggling with faith-testing challenges right now in the congregation. You're going through some of the darkest days in your life. The strain is unending, it's overwhelming, can even cause us to question the very foundations of our faith. And there are no easy answers to that situation. There are no platitudes that I would want to offer. However, there are people in this room who can walk with you through those days. There are people here who can walk with you as a reminder that Christ walks with you. That no matter the circumstances, no matter the pain of the pruning, that He remains with you. When David wrote the psalm, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil, your rod and staff, they comfort me. I foolishly used to think that this only referred to death until I experienced greater darkness in living than in facing death. And if you're walking in those shadows today, allow the church to support you. Allow people to walk with you, to hold you. Allow people to pray for you and receive the blessing of prayer poured out on your life to strengthen you. Share your story with someone you know and respect in this place. If you're a stranger, a bit like me in this place today, then talk to Ross or, or talk to someone else that you know is a leader in the church and get support on the journey. What the Apostle Paul is saying, what John is saying in his gospel here is even the hardest journeys can be completed and can help you grow and bear fruit in Christ. However, more generally, all of us are impacted by the stories of this age and by the values of our society. We live in a time of violence internationally, a time of global consumerism, a time of growing fear over far-right politics, a time of division in our nation between those who have in abundance and those who have nothing. I was walking my dogs this morning at 8 o'clock in the frost and thinking as I walked past the train station, I guess my dogs had a more comfortable night's sleep last night than many people on the streets of the city that I live in.
These are uncertain times. And there are temptations for Christians to adopt the values of the world in the face of uncertainty and insecurity rather than the values of His kingdom. We can choose to rely on our own strength in dark days, or we can choose to rely on His strength. We can choose to store up treasures for ourselves for that day when we might need them, or we can choose to be generous in the way we live towards others. We can seek revenge for the wrong that has been done to us rather than offering grace and forgiveness. We can shut out the stranger for fear of what they might do if we welcome them in. Or we can open our homes, our hearts, and our lives and give them a place of warmth and comfort in our relationships with them. It is hard to be the distinct people of God and easy to conform and not even notice that we have. When Jesus said He was the true vine, He was making a comment about the nation of Israel, a people who were once described as the vine. They were meant to be the true vine. They never lived up to it. They were meant to be a distinct people, but even they had lost their distinctiveness. What about us, the Baptists, the people who were meant to be a distinct people, the people who left the Congregationalists in this town because they wanted to be distinct from the Congregationalists, the people generally who left the Reformation and who left the Roman Catholic model of church to be distinct, who were persecuted equally and jointly by both the Reformation crowd and the Catholic crowd, and were happy to be persecuted in order to be distinct, who said we will not be a people who will simply pass on from one generation to the other the faith with baptism as children but we'll wait for that choice to be made by each and every person who will be a church made up of believers, not those who normally go along with a tradition. Are we still that today? 174 years on, a people determined to be distinct from the Presbyterian National Church. A people determined to be distinct from the Roman Catholic Church, a people determined by the radical nature of their grafting to the vine, willing to be distinct as a Christian people today, who will give, who will share, who will look after the poor, who will be peacemakers, who will welcome strangers, who will have distinct Christian lifestyles. For some of us today, that means we need to confess we have been lured by the attraction to conform rather than the call to be distinct. We know we have turned down opportunities to show generosity and hospitality. We've had the chance to be peacemakers and offer forgiveness and not taken them. And right now is a moment when an anniversary celebration, we can seek the face of our Heavenly Father 
and cry out for mercy as we confess our sin, not only our woeful acts of disobedience, but our failure to act when we should have. And then to invite Him to remain with us as we go into a new year as a church, as we go into a new week as workers, as friends, as neighbors, as colleagues, a week where we choose to bear His characteristics. Let's take a moment of silence as we examine our hearts.